Pray with me, please. Give me Jesus, Lord. Give me Jesus. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. Amen. I confess to you that it's the story I never tire of hearing. It's the story of the first Palm Sunday. It was Passover time in Jerusalem. The Passover crowds were gathering in the city from all over that part of the world. They came pouring in. In fact, John MacArthur reminds us that the ancient historian Josephus declared that in a typical Passover season in that day and time, approximately one quarter of a million lambs would be sacrificed during the Passover. And since on average 10 people shared one lamb, we can quite logically deduce that the population of Jerusalem during the Passover swelled to between two and a half and three million people. Ships were booked from all of the Mediterranean ports. Foot travelers converged upon the city in huge caravans. The city happily took on a rather carnival-like atmosphere. Hawkers loudly announced their wares in the crowded bazaars along the narrow streets of the old city. Friends bumped into each other and proceeded to share the gossip from their respective villages. Hotels and boarding establishments were jammed to the rafters. The seven hills surrounding the city of Jerusalem were covered with tents as multiple thousands camped out for the holiday. The city was throbbing with activity, pulsating with excitement. Little wonder, Passover was the highest and holiest of all the Jewish holidays, a holiday which celebrated God's historical deliverance of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And that only served to inspire the Passover celebrants each year to hope and pray that God might send another deliverer, a king, a messiah, someone who would strike down the hated Romans and restore the people of Israel to a place of ascendancy in the world. Little wonder that things were so exciting in the city of Jerusalem. Well, the Bible tells us that on the Sunday before this particular Passover, Indeed, a king was on his way into the city of Jerusalem. In fact, that's what the whole so-called Palm Sunday parade was all about. Now, mind you, it really wasn't much of a parade, at least not by our standards. The paraders were a rather motley crew 
a ragtag collection of simple peasants from Galilee. The parade organizers were some fishermen and some villagers from the hill country up north. The parade was poorly organized and hastily conceived. Many of the people there didn't really seem to know what it was all about. Ah, but the one who was at the center of that parade, Jesus, he knew only too well what it was all about. You see, 300 years earlier, the prophet Zechariah had announced to the city of Jerusalem, Lo, he said, your king will come, triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah was predicting the coming of the Messiah into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus knew that. And that is why this very small but also terribly significant detail is tucked away in Luke's account of the Palm Sunday story. For Luke tells us that a colt, the foal of a donkey, was secured for Jesus to ride on as he entered the city. And by so doing, Jesus was declaring to the people of Jerusalem, I am the fulfillment of the prophecy. I am the promised king. I am God's Messiah. At first, apparently, the people seemed to understand, but that soon disappeared. At first, they cheered him. Later, they jeered him. At first, they celebrated him. Later, they crucified him. They wound up rejecting his royalty, denying his dominion, renouncing his rule. And what I find so fascinating, troubling but fascinating, is that the same thing happens today. Why is it, do you think, that there are so many people today who, when confronted with the sovereign claim of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives, instead respond by saying, well, I can do quite well without that, thank you very much. Why is it, do you think, that there are so many today who renounce the rule of Jesus in the kingdom of their hearts? I actually believe that the answer is to be found in this story as told by Luke. For here, as Luke unfolds what happened that day, he notes that when the Palm Sunday parade reached the crest of the Mount of Olives, from that vantage point, the city of Jerusalem was stretched out before them. And in that moment, Luke says, when Jesus saw the city, he wept over it. Why? I mean, here amidst all the joyous shouts of the crowd, Suddenly, Jesus broke down crying. Why? Why was he weeping? 
Well, when you look closely at the words Jesus spoke through his tears, you discover that he was weeping for the people of Jerusalem. Jesus was weeping because the people of Jerusalem missed their opportunity. Note that. Missed their opportunity. Through his tears, Jesus speaking to the people of Jerusalem says, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They missed their opportunity. And I tell you, Jesus still weeps for those who do not know or will not see their moment of opportunity with God. It happens still. So many times it seems to me we miss our spiritual opportunities in life. So many times it seems to me we fail to notice when God comes visiting to show us the way. I look back over all of the years of my ministry and I see it so many times. How many times have I seen the tears of parents weeping for their children who have taken a wrong path in life and cannot or will not see it? How many times have I seen the tears of broken-hearted wives and husbands whose marriages have taken a turn for the worst and who have turned a deaf ear to any appeal to turn back. How many times have I seen the tears of someone who's lost a loved one to death and who realizes that that has closed forever the doorway of opportunity? And how many times have I heard such a person say, if only, if only. Or for that matter, how many times have I looked back into my own life to some moment of shame or guilt or regret or missed opportunity and said, why didn't I have the eyes to see? Missed opportunities. Lou Gehrig was one of the greatest and most popular of all the Major League Baseball players. He played for the New York Yankees. One time in a critical point in a game, Lou Gehrig came up to the plate, to bat. He wound up being called out on strikes. In fact, his bat was actually still on his shoulder when the third strike hit the catcher's mitt and the umpire cried, you're out! Immediately, Gehrig turned in disgust and threw his bat into the dirt. And then he muttered something to the umpire and he stalked off to the dugout. That kind of behavior was totally out of character for Lou Gehrig. And so after the game, a reporter asked him, why did you complain to the umpire? Lou Gehrig said, I didn't complain to the umpire. I simply said to him, I wish I had a thousand bucks for another chance at that last pitch. Who wouldn't we all? The tragedy of missed opportunity. Oh, dear friends, note this down. Today is the moment of opportunity in your life and in mine. Yesterday's history. Oh, we can learn from it, but that's all. Tomorrow's uncertain. 
We can speculate about it, but that's all. Today is the moment that counts. Thomas Carlyle put it this way, our main business in life is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but rather to do what lies clearly at hand. Today, this moment, right now, this is the moment of opportunity for you and for me. Let us use it well, my beloved. Let us use it well. For you see, if we do not do that, if we do not seize this moment of opportunity today, an opportunity for God, if we do not make the most of this day for God, then count on it. Jesus will weep for us just as he wept for the people of Jerusalem. And Jesus wept for the people of Jerusalem because they misunderstood his objective. They not only missed their opportunity, they misunderstood his objective. Listen to the words he spoke through his tears. He says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus still weeps for those who will not know or will not see the things that make for peace of mind and peace among people and peace with God. The people of Jerusalem misunderstood his objective. Oh, to be sure, on that first Palm Sunday, they called him Lord, and they were right, for so he is. However, something happened between the celebration of Palm Sunday and the crucifixion of Good Friday. They began to question. Their faith began to waver. They began to be afflicted with doubts. I mean, yes, they saw things in Jesus that they regarded as being characteristics of the Messiah who had been promised. Uh, they knew his persuasive preaching and his miraculous ministry. But there were so many other things that they didn't expect in the Messiah. I mean, he seemed to be a frightfully ordinary man. He lived among peasants, for heaven's sake. He owned only one robe. He made no pretense to military might or political power. He expended no effort to secure for himself a throne or a territory. So many things that they expected they didn't see in Jesus. And as a result... Their faith wavered, and they wound up trying to cross him off the face of the earth. Before we are too quick to condemn, let's be honest enough to acknowledge that you and I do the same. We do wonder, if we're honest, if Jesus really is the Lord of the whole universe and the Lord of our lives. I mean, if he is... <laughs> then why in the world doesn't he just demonstrate his power by wiping off in one fell swoop everything that is wrong in this world? We expect a king to come in power and glory. He comes as a helpless child 
resting in an animal's feed box. We expect the Messiah to trigger a public revolution. He comes offering a private redemption. We look for freedom through force and might. He grants liberty through sacrifice and forgiveness. We cry out, Hosanna, which literally means save us now. And he does come to save us all right. But you see, we misunderstand. He doesn't come to save us from something. He comes to save us for something. He doesn't come to save us from the perils of this mortal world. Instead, he comes to save us for significant living in the midst of this life and in the life that is to come. So many times we misunderstand his objectives. In the classic novel, The Robe, written by Lloyd C. Douglas, there is a slave in the story whose name is Demetrius. Demetrius happens to be present in Jerusalem on the day of the Palm Sunday parade. His curiosity gets the best of him. And he manages to elbow his way through the crowd to see who it is who is at the center of this rather unusual parade. He gets close enough to suddenly look squarely into the face of Jesus. It is an incredibly moving moment for him. Later on, one of his fellow slaves asks Demetrius, well, tell me, did you see him? And Demetrius said, yes, I did. Well, then the slave asked, what do you think? Do you think he's crazy? No, Demetrius said, he's not crazy. Well, then the other slave says, do you believe that he's really a king? No, Demetrius said not a king. Well, then the other slave pleads, well, then what is he? And Demetrius answers, he is something far more than a king. Oh, yes. He's not just a king. He's the king of all kings, but even more than that, he is something far more than just a king. For when he takes hold of our lives, he changes everything. We no longer can think of ourselves in the same way or about how we are living each day or about how things are out there in this world of ours. He is something far more than a king and he changes everything. The great George Matheson was the well-known blind preacher of Scotland in the late 1800s. The story is told of a woman, a servant woman, who lived in a dark, dank cellar down in the slums of Edinburgh, who every Sunday morning would leave the slums 
to go and hear George Matheson preach. One Saturday, the neighbors noted that this woman's meager belongings were piled up outside her door. They said to her, what are you doing? And the woman said, I'm moving. And they said, moving? Why are you moving? And the woman answered, one cannot hear George Matheson preach Jesus Christ and live in a cellar. Whew, I love that. Do you understand that the great driving dream of my whole life has been to be that kind of preacher? The kind of preacher who preaches Jesus Christ in such a way that people are moved to rise up out of the darkness of their lives, to behold the light of a new day, to find a new way of seeing this world, to find a new power for living in this world, and to find a new hope for living beyond this world. Oh, my beloved people, please, please hear this. If we do not understand that that is why Jesus Christ came into this world, then count on it. Jesus will weep for us just as he wept for the people of Jerusalem. I guess it all comes down to this. The best way to dry his tears is to give him your life. For he and he alone can save. Pray with me, please. God on high, hear my prayer. Enable us to cry, Hosanna, save us now. But help us to understand that your Son comes to save us, not from something, but for something, for significant, faithful living in this life and in the life that is to come. Amen.